Welcome to Dark Horse Matters, the show about passionate people going after their dreams and making it come true. I'm your host, Bev Matayoshi, and my hopes is to inspire those of you who are searching, searching for that something that is going to give you that drive. And as I said before, season three, I was honored to be chosen as one of RDH Magazine's influencers. So I will be interviewing a lot of really inspiring people in the medical and dental field, um, just really making a difference and changing lives. So today's guest, I'm super excited to introduce you to. Um, he is truly an amazing visionary and pioneer in the dental realm with regards to oral systemic link. I'm always preaching about the chronic illness, you know, problem out there and just you know, bankrupts, bankrupting families, you know, <laughs> seven out of 10 people get diagnosed with all kinds of diseases. And this man really, really found a way to, um, in the dental world for us to screen people and, you know, really take a look at what's in the oral cavity, the bacteria and the link that can help maybe identify those markers. So we can really, really take prevention to a whole nother level. I'm so proud to introduce you to the founder and former chief officer of Oral DNA Laboratories. Uh, please give a warm welcome to Dr. Tom Neighbors, Senior DDS. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for being here. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to pick your brain yeah. on my show because um, I've just been meeting a lot of dental hygienists lately. And post-pandemic, I mean, I've just been really, really um, focused on really connecting with dental hygienists out there because I don't know I feel like there's a shift in yeah. the industry and yes. just love meeting these hygienists out there who just want to be right. next level and progress the profession so I think that you are such a huge um, inspiration to all Thank of us you. hygienists out there we really uh, yeah so um, before we get into yeah. your your story um, can you just give us a little background like where you're from sure yeah, well, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, my parents were from that area. My father was an accountant. My mother was a homemaker, but she did have a degree in, in diet, and, and she was a dietitian in a way, and she um, fed us good foods and kind of taught us how to eat. Uh, my, daughter, my, my father taught us how to act, and my mother taught us how to eat, so <laughs> those are two good things uh, <laughs> there. Uh, we moved to Mississippi when I was very young, and um, then I went through my childhood and high school. Uh, after that, I entered uh, college and got degrees in uh, biology and chemistry, and uh, then I began to study my oral microbiology. So I kind of call myself a chair-side oral microbiologist today. Ah, so do you remember the moment when you decided you wanted to go into dentistry? That's a great question. And I, I've thought about this many times. And all of us have those moments in our life where we choose to go down a different path. Uh, and for me, uh, when I was uh, studying chemistry and, uh, and uh, biology, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. Uh, but my first cousin, uh, who was older than me, was a professor at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in the College of Dentistry. And he said, would you join me for a weekend and you can kind of see what dentists do? And that was a point. It changed my life and, and, the, and the direction. And I think the reason that it did is my mother, a beautiful lady, suffered with periodontal disease all her, her life and ended up losing all of her teeth when she was in her 30s. Uh, and that was a generational time when there wasn't much that could be done for those individuals. But I just remember the pain, the anguish, and the embarrassment that was associated with her going through that. So I think subconsciously that kind of drove me more into the area of oral health in, in general. Oh, what a powerful story. Um, yeah. It's just it's just amazing to me how different, you know, people's walks of life are and what influences yes. them. And yeah. um I love that you're uh, a total microbiology nerd because yes. <laughs> I think all dental hygienists are in some Absolutely. way. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Microbiology was my favorite subject. Oh, yes, yeah. Like, I had so much, it was the hardest. <laughs> I yes. thought it was very hard, but it was so much fun. I, I really enjoyed I'm so it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you like that. 
Yeah. So do you re- okay? So it was yeah. your cousin who influenced you. Yes, he was. And then yes. and your mother. So yes. did you always love science, like even as a kid? I did. Yeah. I um you, you asked me earlier to you know to kind of look at those questions. And I remember as a boy reading, and the books that I like to read were, were to read were those individuals who were real pioneers in particular area. I enjoyed reading. Uh, like individuals who really changed the world. I rem- remember like Henry Ford was someone I was really amazed about. I was, um, Thomas Edison was another one I wanted to learn about. Uh, the inventors of our universe that we take for granted today, I always enjoyed reading their life stories. It was so real. And so I guess I would say that I love to read biographies of people that have made a change and made a difference. Wow. You know, I find it very interesting that you mentioned those specific people, because yes. my next question to you was was going to ask you about how I'm like if you were always an ambitious person, like I get that yes. energy from you that yes. you're you. ambitious and you probably were always that way. And the fact that you were yes. reading books about these yes. people who are just pioneers in just, yeah. yes. you know, change, making yeah. changes like I find that very fascinating. Well, my my father said to me one Saturday, and that was when everybody worked six days a week, and you only didn't work on on Sunday. Um, and one day he came in, and I had not done anything all day, and it was about noon. And he looked at me and he said, "What have you done constructive today?" And there's not a single day that I that my life has transgressed that I don't think of that statement. And every day I ask myself, "What am, am I going to do constructive today?" And then at the end of the day, I ask, what have I done that is constructive? And I can't think of any other field other than um, medical care, uh, where we're doing something constructive every day, not just for ourselves, but we are doing it for others. And you mentioned the dental hygienist field, and I would, uh, and I hope everybody takes this right. But I love the dental hygiene profession. I love the hygienist per se role in healthcare today. I think the name is wrong. I think the name should be like oral nurse practitioner or nurse practitioner of oral health or something that way, because what you are doing is probably the most important thing that we do in oral health today. Well, thank you for recognizing that. Like, absolutely. When when I look at myself as a dental hygienist, like I, I really think of myself as a prevention specialist. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not even just of the oral cavity. It's an overall health prevention specialist. Along that same line, I remember in 2010, the uh, vice dean of Harvard University made a statement. He said, eventually, the dental practice will be the entry point into preventive medicine. Think Mm -hmm. about that for a minute. That was 13 years ago. And when I first read that, I was really kind of shocked. But now that we've had this period of time that has transgressed over the past decade or so, it is true uh, that we are heading in that direction for many reasons, and we have to be prepared for that. And it's it's just interesting, because like when you look at medicine today, I, I find like there's still such a huge disconnect between the medical and dental industry, yes. um, yes. especially with prevention. And I hope that, you know, we can just keep spreading this passion so we can bridge that gap a little bit, you know, find creative ways to do that. Um, And I think you've already really made a huge move in that as well (laughs) with what you've been doing. So um, I kind of wanted to just move now into um, talking about like, how did you come up with the idea? uh, Like, when did this evolve in your mind? Yeah, well, it was a it was a progression, and um, and the reason I say that is right out of dental school, I went into the U.S. Navy, and I had an opportunity to work with all of the specialty fields, um, from oral surgery to periodontal, periodontal surgery, restorative, prosthosis, whatever, and it was wonderful training for a young dentists that wanted to move back to a small town, um, and once having moved back to the small town, um, I began to see very quickly that many things that we were doing were very predictable. Surgery was very predictable. Crown and bridge was very predictable. Restored. Everything that we were doing is predictable, but period. And so after around 13 years in private practice, I made the decision, and I remember the day that I talked to our team about it, I said, either we're going to stop doing period or we're going to change it. 
because there, it was too unpredictable. And the patients that I saw came back with disease. It was very difficult to have that conversation. Uh, and you know what I mean by that is we treated them and then they came back and they were not that much better. And I felt like that we were not delivering a service that was as um, not only predictable, but was as important as that particular area of service uh, should be. So that in 1983, I went to hear Dr. Paul Kais. Uh, some of you may remember his name. He was a uh, spent about 40 years at the National Institute of Health. Uh, he uh, had a PhD in microbiology and did a lot of research in microbiology using phase contrast microscopy. And that was prior to our ability to use DNA. We didn't even know it existed. Uh, but we started using in our practice a phase contrast to look at the differences between biofilm prior to treatment and then biofilm um, 30 days later uh, to see if we were making a difference and change over time. Uh, I also learned during that period of time, uh, a lot of the research was heading north toward more specificity. The phase contrast was very, very impactful, but it wasn't very specific. Uh, we couldn't really name what we were seeing. Uh, uh, individual uh, by um, the name of... Um, I can't think of his name, this one I'll think of it in a minute, the inventor of DNA PCR um, in 1983 said, well, we have the ability now to look at uh, gen genomic sequences of not only the human, but also microorganisms. Kerry Mullis is Dr. Kerry Mullis. In fact, Dr. Mullis received the Nobel Prize in uh, chemistry for this invention. And DNA PCR was called um, the most important scientific breakthrough in medicine in the 20th century. And so when I was reading that material, I said, well, why aren't we using this in oral medicine? Because that's the type of technology that we need. And so I began to look for a laboratory that could do that for us. In other words, individualize the infection based on what we knew of causative agents. Couldn't find one. So I actually found a laboratory in the Netherlands that was doing that. So I flew to Germany to meet Dr. Peter Kemp, uh, who was the inventor of a PCR. You know, when I say PCR, I'm talking about DNA polymerase chain reaction, the ability to look at genomic sequences of humans, viruses, bacteria, fungi, anything that has a genomic sequence, we can look at that and discover it. Bottom line is I created the first company in, in 2003 uh, because we were using DNA along with phase contrast in our office, and the information that we were getting was so personalized based on the specifics of the infection, and it gave us a route of actually using those as targets. So we could use a test before treatment and a test after treatment to look at the bacteria we were actually trying to either eradicate or reduce and I, and I always did very comprehensive case studies with photographs and everything that we would do from the traditional model of measuring. But then I would also look at what I was doing with DNA versus what I had been doing in our treatment model was getting so successful that I actually was growing my practice through perio, which I did not intend <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so bottom line, it became a real um, growth for the practice. And I said, well, we need a laboratory here in the U.S. So the first company I created was called Advanced Dental Diagnostics. And that became the platform for oral DNA labs. And that's the reason that we were able with with help. I had a lot of good help, of course, people in the industry that knew what I wanted to do to build the first um, lab, which was called Oral DNA Labs. Wow. I mean, I'm just like blown away right now. Just the fact that you were smart enough or just intuitive enough back in the 80s. When, yes. You know, like DNA, we didn't, even, that didn't even exist. I'm thinking of like no. OJ. I don't even know what year OJ Simpson <laughs> case was, but I'm just like, wow. You know, yeah. the fact that you were looking at that while the technology is actually being formed, like, you are really amazing, your brain, the way it works. Well, I think we all as healthcare providers have a desire not only to help people, but to also want to know how things work. Mm -hmm. um, and it just didn't seem right to me the way we were treating periodontal disease because we were not treating any other infection like that. 
And it always bothered me that we were taught that periodontal disease is a non-curable disease. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to disprove that. And we have disproved that. With the problem that we have with periodontal disease is we are, are detecting it too late. And thus we're trying to treat it when it is ir- irreversible. But what we have discovered by using testing is that testing should be a part of every exam, regardless of what we see clinically, because it gives us a roadmap as to what the oral microbiome looks like. And that's huge today. The story of the importance of the entire human microbiome is critical to health. And many of us have heard the particular numbers relative to the number of human cells and the number of, let's say, bacterial um, entities that make up the, the outside of us and the inside of us. And what we've learned you know, from the gut is that it's extremely important, even at very early age, for a, a developing brain function and also important for us as far as protecting us, in other words, the immune system, as well as many other things. But what we are also learning today is that the oral microbiome is just as important. In fact, when we look at the sheer numbers of the microorganisms or sheer species numbers, in other words, the variability of types of organisms that live in the mouth, uh, the largest variation of microorganisms is found in the large intestine as far as variety. But the second largest is found in the mouth. There are more variations of particular types of microorganisms that exist in the mouth than than exist even in the small intestine or in the nose or on the skin. So this regulatory component that we call the oral microbiome regulates many, many functions that we never knew before. So having looked at, let's say, bad bacteria, which is important, we're now shifting our focus on what what are the real good ones and how do we know we're balancing because that's the real story of the oral microbiome it's creating a balance between good ones and bad ones so that the good ones are controlling the environment so that's our next strategy and that's where we're heading now is not just looking at disease causing microorganisms but organisms that actually create health for us yes just truly amazing um and what I'm seeing as a dental hygienist who I've worked in three different states and I've tempted mo- numerous yeah. offices, there's a lot of offices out there who are not even implementing the thought of this. Yes. And yeah. I, I'm just like, hello, everybody, listen <laughs> to him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just yes. because, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a no brainer. Like we have to make this connection yes. if you want yes. to get healthier or if you want to prevent disease, like I, I had this kid, he's a young 20 year old in my chair just earlier yeah. this week, virgin, healthy teeth, zero yeah. cavities, but yeah. just bleeding everywhere. And I'm like, you know, you know, standing on my soapbox, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. About, sure. you know, yeah. just where he's right. going to end up, you know, and he's like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but yeah. I'm just like, you know, I, I try to really, really try to explain yeah. it to these young people before the damage is done about Absolutely. how it can affect them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just love this method because it ties everything together. It does. Thank you. Um, along this journey, which was really rewarding for me, is my oldest son is a dentist also. And so he began to work with me in this early project with the, uh, actually in our first company uh, of American of uh, ADDX Advanced Dental Diagnostics, and he was also very prominent in our first our second company, which is as uh, Oral DNA Labs. And then my youngest son, who has degrees in biology and chemistry, decided to begin to work with us also. So it kind of became a family business, which also would make you know made it that much more um, enjoyable. But as we looked at the journey along the line, our first focus was on, you know, how do we prevent alveolar bone loss and can we catch it earlier? And um, once we see the reports, how does it change our treatment? And all of those uh, those things we've kind of put together, which we don't have time for today. But another part of that uh, particular story is, well, how did that tie into the systemic world? Because when we first started this model, 
back in the early uh, 2000s, it was really all about alveolar loss. Uh, the world of systemic inflammation was really big back then, but we really didn't know how to tie that in. Um, and um, those of you who may be familiar with um, um, Drs. Bradley Bale and Drs. Amy Donine, on, are you familiar with those two individuals? No. I Let me make you familiar with them. They wrote a book, The Heart Attack Gene, uh, something like that. And both of those individuals um, have practices where they are, um, will guarantee you not have a heart attack or stroke. Now, hear that. <laughs> their practice yeah. is if you are their patient, uh, you would not have a heart attack or a stroke. And so it's all around the concept that you made reference there, and that is preventing heart attacks and strokes. So there is information that we have today that can tell us the level of risk that we might have relative to having a major event. And we can actually reverse those particular challenges that put us at risk. And so long story short, I received a call from both of them one day saying, we don't know how to measure the mouth. We know the mouth is connected to this whole story of heart attacks and strokes, but we don't know how to do that. So bottom line is from 2009 on, um, in preventing heart attacks and strokes by Drs. Bale and Drs. Donine, they require the types of testing that we are doing today in order to measure the pathogens. And the reason for that is that these pathogens actually create a dysfunctional in inflammation story that not only affects the mouth, but it affects every organ system. And if the mouth is a source of chronic inflammation, our greatest responsibility as hygienists, dentists, periodontists, and so forth, is to make sure that we have clinical stability, microbiological stability, and that the mouth is not a source of systemic inflammation. And the only way we can do that is to measure what we know to measure today. And what we realize is that there are only a few microorganisms that control the entire dysbiotic story where we are changing from a healthy microflora to an unhealthy one. And of course, diet and home care and diabetes and smoking and all of that, are those are influential as well. But none of that that I mentioned, those are not causative. They increase the risk. It's when we have this dysbiotic relationship of good to bad or bad to good, that's when we get this chronic systemic inflammation and because of their work and joining us in our work, we're now able to say that, yes, we know from a mechanistic standpoint of view that these microorganisms create dysfunctional systemic inflammation that is measurable. And that when we treat periodontal disease, let's say in a very, very proactive way, in, in a successful way, that we can make sure that the mouth does not contribute to heart attacks and strokes. So for all of us that are hygienists and dentists and so forth, we should be taking hold of this brass ring that we have in front of us because the real story is that it's about systemic health first and it's about teeth second. And if we begin to think that way, then we'll begin to use these types of tests that give us this information. Um, you know, I, I always like think about, you know, just those people out there who are very, really driven to uh, for their health. I find a lot of people more aware now and information are is at our fingertips now. Yes, because it is. You get it so easily. And yeah. for those of you out there who just, they're just completely, they don't know, you know, the yeah. connection here. I, yeah. I had a patient of mine. Um, he was, it wasn't my, uh, he, his friend got yeah. diagnosed with colon cancer. Oh, and yeah. he was like, his mind was just blown because he was like, and he was recommended to get it checked out by his dentist. And yeah. I he was like, how is that connected? And I told him he probably had his saliva tested. He found out exactly what kind of bacteria had in his yeah. mouth that contributed yeah. to that. And I was just, he was just like, wow, that is, uh, it yeah. opened up his eyes, you know, it, uh, it, it was, it's yeah. just really cool. Like a lot of people out there, yeah. if you're yeah. really committed to your health, and you yes. want to learn more, you have to learn about the bacteria yeah. in your mouth because you do connected. I, I've kind of coined the phrase over the years, 
and that it's what we see visually and radi radiographically is important. There's no doubt about that. But what we can't see is even more important. Mm, yes. And because we really can't tell the difference, um, as an example, when we talk about predictability, clinical signs of periodontal disease, such as bleeding and pocket deaths, do not predict whether or not a patient is going to get more advanced disease. We might suggest that it does, but it doesn't. Um, and it's, but we know that these bacteria that we can test for today, particularly four of them, can actually predict alveolar bone loss over time. So why wouldn't we want to know that information before individuals had any kind of alveolar bone loss? Not only, you know, are we tying that to teeth, but we're tying that to implants and we're tying that, of course, to a conversation like you just made reference there. Um, one thing that bothered me throughout the years, too, is that when we look at medicine in general, the clinical laboratory using blood and urine and other body fluids is a mainstay in medicine. And medicine wouldn't be where it is today without the clinical laboratory. And it always bothered me that we had a very serious disease, um, acute infections. In other words, here's what I want to say. We all learn acute dental infections can be deadly. We learned about infective endocarditis, cavernous sinus thrombosis, certain neck infections and so forth that are still very, very deadly today. But what we didn't learn is chronic infections such as chronic periodontal diseases can also be very dangerous as well. But without the clinical laboratory model, it's all guesswork. And none of us would want to go to our primary care physician and, and he or she would say, well, your blood pressure looks good and you look good, so come back and see me in a year. None, none of us would think that would be a very good exam. We would want some blood testing. We'd want to know the history. And so what I'm saying here is the clinical laboratory movement in our world is very much needed, uh, but also it's very much appreciated by not only the clinician, you as a hygienist particularly, but also by our patients. They actually gravitate toward that in a very, very nice way. And But they would not even know if no. we didn't talk about it. That's right. It must be talked about. And we need. To, it's our job to educate them. It is. That's why they come. And I know we have a lot to do in one hour. But, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I mean, the patients who do learn and are uh, uh, yes. you know, yeah. benefiting from it, they're yes. so grateful. They're always they are. so grateful. Absolutely. Yeah. I can tell you so many stories uh, on an individual basis, not only that happened to me, but also it happened to my son and other practitioners as well. Um, and can I give you a short story of how all of this is related? Yes, please do. Sure. So my son had a, a, a young lady in his office. She was 32 years old. Um, and she said she had an identical twin uh, that lived in another state. And when you think of identical twins, well, you and That's I twin. are... Are you really? I'm an identical twin. Oh, you do you know your DNA is 99.99% just like I your know. sister. She's claiming yeah. that 1%. <laughs> well, this was a sad story because this young lady came in and said, my identical twin has type 2 diabetes and has had open heart surgery twice, has died on the surgical table. They brought her back. <clears throat> But it was all because of an infection in her heart, it is using her words. But the surgeon, cardiac surgeon said to her, the one that um, almost died and then got, be sure and go see your dentist because all of this came from your mouth. Your mouth infected your heart. And so this identical twin who lives in Nashville, Tennessee, came to see my son to simply say, how do I know I live, and my, my DNA is exactly like hers. I lived in the same family. Uh, it's probably that my mouth is just like hers relative to the microflora, which she was right. And, and she basically said, well, how can you tell me if my heart is at risk? And obviously, how do you do that? Well, you can either subjectively say where you are because you lived in the same family, or you can objectively do that by saying, let's do a saliva test and let's see which microorganisms are there that might put your heart at risk. That's exactly what they did. And they treated her for these high-risk bacteria, AAPGTF and TD, to eliminate them or at least get them under control. And what did they do for her? They, we, while we can't prove the point, um, let's say to 100%, we can say 
that would at least reduce her risk for the same problems that her twin sister had. And uh, you, do you think she would have been thankful for that? And you think absolutely she is. She's a lifetime member now of that uh, dental practice because she feels and the office feels too that they have prevented her from having the life-threatening surgeries that, and life-threatening heart. I will say that her twin sister's heart would never be the same because of what happened to her. But I could go on and on and on about even children. We see children, we've tested children and we're testing more and more children in families that have periodontal disease because we're seeing, seeing the same pattern of dysbiosis in children that we see in their parents that have periodontal disease. And if we wanna stop them from going down that same path, then it's very simple to reverse that in a child <clears throat> as opposed to a parent that has type four, you know, alveolar bone loss. So um, we are recommending now that families be treated um, anytime there is any evidence of periodontal disease. But even beyond that, uh, I feel that the uh, saliva test, along with many other things that we'll be testing for that we'll be bringing up, um, should be a part of the routine exam for every patient. That's where we are going with this. Just like we would take radiographs or we'd, we would take um, cone beams if we were gonna do more aggressive therapy, the saliva test is even more valuable than anything I've mentioned relative to the systemic health of the patient. It must be part of the standard of care. Yes, it, it has to be, yes. yes. Yeah. And I, I yes. totally agree. And yeah. um, I just love, you know, I mean, I, I love hearing the stories Yes. Because it makes it real, you know, like it you does. hear the jargon of science and bacteria, oh, yeah. yes. that, but it, when you hear stories like that, what happened to that, those two twins, yes. I mean, wow, you know, Absolutely. that's motivating. It really is. It wow. is. Thank you for sharing that. You're very welcome. That. And wouldn't it be nice for all of us to, to have those stories? I know all of us do. You mentioned the one, the colon cancer, and I think all of us should be building those types of databases. And the more that we learn about testing, the more stories we'll hear about that. Yes, absolutely. I, I just, I'm so fascinated by bacteria. I feel like yeah. there's such a parallel between bacteria and humans. We're they are. highly intelligent. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. The thing is like, but I feel like who's more superior, right? The chronic right. illness that they're causing, they seem to be winning right now. But, yes. yeah. you know, I yeah. feel like because we can educate ourselves and learn about it and i feel like right. we we are superior but we're not executing <laughs> right well there's a there's a, a reason behind that and the, it really came out of europe and the, the the phrase was called metagenomics and the i don't know whether you're familiar with that phrase or not but um, genomics metagenomics yeah and it literally means when you take a large number of living organisms and you put them into close proximity, that the combination of their DNA um, ability to either cause health or disease is greater than the individual properties of the single microorganisms. Mm -hmm. And it's been speculated by uh, Professor Trevor Marshall, who is head of the immune um, research development in Europe, that the power of just the bacteria that are in us, that their DNA potential or their metagenomic potential is at least 100 times greater than our own genetic potential. That's hard to get your head around. But what they are saying is that their ability to either cause health or cause disease based on the types that are there are far superior than our own body's ability to defend against them. So it's important that we recognize the value of keeping all of our microorganisms, particularly in the gut, which the mouth is the beginning of this whole process, of keeping our microorganisms happy and keeping them friendly. Yes. Um, I interviewed a doctor um, previously on this show who yes. specializes in the gut microbiome and he yes. was talking about fiber, you know, yes. and how only like, I don't know, 3% of the population yes. actually consumes enough of it. And that's yes. like a natural way to, you know, douse the flames of yes. inflammation. 
And yeah. I'm just like, you know, simple things like that, you know, yeah. like our, our lifestyle, we're so spoiled. Yeah. These days. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we, we are damaging ourselves, you know, in, yes. in the, the process. So yeah. um, I just find your work so great and so fascinating and it's forever changing and progressing it and it's it very exciting. Um, I always like to talk about, you know, the process because when sure. people are creative like you, like you yes. have that mind of a creative person, an innovative person. And um, when you're in the process of developing some an organization like this, yeah. um, what yeah. kind of setbacks did you get yeah. along the way? Because, you know, people who want success, they get discouraged, you know, like, yes, yes, uh, yes, like yes. why well, is it that you, you know, were able to just program? I know you had a lot of help, but yeah, what yes. kind of setbacks were there and how did you uh, yeah. overcome them? Well, thank you. That's a great, great question. And I think as clinicians that we have a really, really um, great opportunity to direct science. We usually look at science to kind of direct us, but as clinicians, we have an op uh, the uh, ability to observe if the science we learned is actually creating the end result that we want. So that's what kind of started me in the period world, as I made reference to, and I wasn't happy with what we were doing and the end result that we were receiving. The biggest roadblock to me was education that's being taught. And what I had been taught in, uh, let's say, the 1960s when I was studying perio, we didn't know a lot about perio. We didn't, we didn't learn a lot about perio. But most of what was taught then is being taught today and that it's a biofilm infection. Some, some are mentioning the specifics to it, but nobody learns how to test. And we're learning that the, um, the most important thing that we can do is biofilm removal or biofilm disruption. I don't like to use the term SRP anymore because we are planting roots. We, mm -hmm. we used to do that many years ago. So we use that term sort of, um, say, in a, as a general statement. Actually, actually it's subgingival biofilm disruption we're not trying to harm the root surface anymore we're trying to eliminate that biofilm that is there but um, the literature clearly says and so I, what you know the question is what was the roadblock well the roadblock is that and that is that when we get out of dental hygiene school when we get out of dental dental school that's the model that we use we don't have a model that personalizes treatment mm -hmm. we treat everybody pretty much the same and unless they need um, graft surgery or unless they need mucogingival surgery or unless they, you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. From the beginning point of our examination to the end point of our conservative treatment, it's very little difference based on the principles that we learned 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, we do have new technology. You know, we do have, you know, ultrasonics, piezos, lasers, trays and you know localized uh, antimicrobial systemics and so forth so i'm not saying and i'm not being critical by the way please i hope everyone recognizes i'm not being critical of let's say you the hygienist or any hygienist or any dentist or any paradigm that's not the point what i am saying is the literature has taken us further than what we learned and uh, anything that i attempt to teach i have documentation based on either clinical trials based on literature reviews and so forth and what we know today is that we have to look at medicine today versus the way it was when we left school, whenever that date was. Mm -hmm. And if medicine has advanced to a point that we can improve patient care, we have to accept that. But having said that, um, there are still people that will graduate this year that think that biofilm disruption and brushing and flossing are the mainstays of periodontal treatment. And while that is important, <clears throat> we're treating everybody exactly the same. And then we're asking the question is why aren't people, why do some people not respond? And we tend to blame it on brushing and flossing or we blame it on the smoke or we blame it on diabetes or we blame it on inflammation. And so the point being is we need more accurate information than we have learned to, um, in our training to actually use. So the roadblock I would say is number one, our education, but also the lack of education in the clinical laboratory world. Absolutely. I feel like as uh, just practicing in dentistry for 27 years, almost 28 yes. years now, yes. um, another roadblock 
I see is, you know, a lot of people just are so insurance driven. That's right. This particular test, you know, I don't know when it's going to be covered. It should be, you know, Yes. but people let that be the determining factor that determines their health. You know, if you were committed to getting healthier, wouldn't you want to invest in learning about your own body? Yeah. Well, one of the, I would like to make a comment about that to kind of help relieve some of that tension Mm. uh, relative to um, insurance and cost. Yeah. Uh, Because that's always a um, question that I'm always asked. And one thing you asked me that I just want to say is what are you doing today? Uh, because I no longer, uh, we sold oral DNA to Quest Diagnostics a long time ago, but I've continued to study and I'm now a consultant. And one of the uh, groups I'm consulting with is a new laboratory out of Texas called Direct Diagnostics. And what we have done at Direct Diagnostics is we've improved our tests. We've reduced the number of targets. And when I say targets, the specific organisms that we are looking at, because the literature supports, we need to really target only about four microorganisms that really are causative to periodontal disease and inflammation. And we've added a fifth there, but we've also reduced the cost. But here's the way that I got over all of that. Even when I was the only one in the US doing that because nobody else was doing DNA testing, I gave the test away. I gave the cost of the test away. And why did I do that? It's because I wanted the patient to be aware of the need. In other words, with the test, I could help validate that there was an infection and that they need something other than a cleaning, that they needed periodontal treatment. And so I was willing to give up the cost of the test to move them into periodontal treatment. So it wasn't a loss. Yeah, I lost whatever the few dollars it was for the test. But from a practice standpoint of view, we were encouraging patients to, to do the best thing for their health and not let the cost of a test keep them from doing that. Yeah. Now, or the insurance. Yeah. yeah. You don't have insurance, you don't, uh, plus you don't want to pay for the test. That's fine. The Mm -hmm. test is part of our treatment. And if we find that you need treatment, we're going to encourage you to do treatment and we're going to show you the test that validates that you have this infection. And then we will hopefully then move you into a treatment model rather than, well, let's wait and see for for a while. You follow, you know, the wait and see another six months. Can we wait six more months? Six more months for you to just lose yeah 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 yes right so <laughs> yeah. what I would say to all of those you that are listening is that don't let the test the cost of the test or the lack of insurance prevent you from doing the right thing hmm. absolutely um, and I'm glad that you brought up direct diagnostics because yes. um, even with regards to treating it's different now because I know with oral DNA labs I, I worked in an office that used that yes. saliva testing yes. and it yes. was very very um, fascinating I loved it. Um, but a lot of the part of the treatment was incorporating antibiotics and, you know, our gut biome, like too much antibiotics is also not good. So like with direct diagnostics, like what's involved now with treating the perio? Sure. Well, the, the way that I see moving people into testing is to change as little as possible (laughs) with what your philosophy is. And so if your philosophy is, I don't want to use antibiotics, well, let's get the test and let's see if there are other ways that we can help grow the healthy bacteria so that they can begin to crowd out the bad bacteria. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. And as clinicians, we have to be very open-minded to other options. And so if let's say a practice says, well, I, I use lasers all the time because I've been told lasers kill bacteria. But my end results of using lasers, I'm, I'm not real sure that I'm getting the result that I wanted for this particular patient. What we do then as a laboratory is we help support you by saying, well, here's some other options that you may try with your laser. And so we're not going to try to change a whole lot initially with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's a, uh, I call it a continuum of learning of other options that you can do. And I also say, that periodontal disease is the most difficult infection that we deal with relative to these chronic infections that we call, uh, in that we call periodontal infections. Periodontitis is, of course, a difficult one to deal with. There are many factors that that are there. And so what we try to do then is start with what you would call, we would call your go-to system, 
and let's measure before and after and see how well your system is working. If it's working, that's great. We won't change anything. But if, if we, when I say it's working, let's look at the report 30 days later to see how well you've reduced the causative agents of the disease and those that contribute to systemic inflammation. But if we see that that treatment is not working ideally for that particular patient, then we have a, a full team of hygienists that have been doing this a long time and they can give you other options. So we're not locked into one particular treatment model. We just try to work with wh where you're there, help you understand the test, how to use it, uh, and then how to shift gears. Can I use one analogy here? I know our time is running short, but I would say that if you had a blood test today and your, uh, let's say your uh, stat, your uh, LDL was elevated and your HDL was uh, decreased, uh, and we wanted to decrease your LDL and raise your HDL, um, the physician might put you on a statin drug. And so maybe three months later, you would come back and they would retest. To, why would they do that? They would want to see if the statin is working. Well, guess what? If the statin's not working, they, they either do one of two things. They want to change the dose or they change the statin. There are actually four or five different genetic forms of are generic forms of statins. So they're not gonna stay on a statin that doesn't work. You hear what I'm saying when I say that? So uh, the, the application here is if we're doing something for our patients on a regular basis and we're not getting an end result that we think that we should be getting, then let's have in our practices more options than maybe a single option. Customization of a patient. Customization, absolutely. The person is so different. Yeah, yes. There's no way we can treat everybody the same way. It's Absolutely. Just not gonna, you're not going to get the same result. It isn't. Time. Yes, it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. I just love, I could talk about all this forever yeah. and ever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of well, my I favorite conversations so far. Good. I love it. Good. Good. Um, I just want to thank you so much um, for coming on here. Before you're we up. end the interview, yes. I want to ask you, like, what do you visionize, like visualize yes. for, I I don't know. Do you have visions or you I do. <laughs> amazing work here? Oh, like, yes. what do you see your legacy being? You know? Oh my gosh. I don't even think about my legacy. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, how can we improve what we're doing and how can I, um, as a retired clinician, continue to elevate our beloved professions? And we're all in this for a reason. We, we get into healthcare because we love people and we love seeing people get healthier. Uh, if we didn't, we wouldn't be here because it can be too frustrating. It's a hard job. Um, and I totally respect, as I said, the work that you as hygienists are doing because of the work is so critically important. But here's the future. Think of saliva as a blood transudate. Saliva is a blood transudate. It is filtered through the salivary glands, the major glands and the minor glands. But basically, saliva is blood with the red blood cells filtered out. But the ingredients in saliva are very small relative to blood because of the concentration of certain ingredients that are there. So where do I see the future? Well, the, the thing that's gonna happen next, very near future, is we're gonna be measuring the most important healthy bacteria in conjunction with the most important bad bacteria. And we're gonna see a balance. We wanna create a shift there from bad to good, because I'm sure we're going to see when we have bad ones, we're going to have low good ones. But when we treat the bad ones, we're going to say an elevation of, and so that's going to be the next very, very soon dimension. But I also see us looking at, you know, blood sugar. Of course, some of our practices are using HB1C testing, even as we speak today, finger sticks. I think we'll be able to do that in saliva. I think they're interesting enough. They will be actually Oh, there's a lot of inflammation that we are already seeing. In other words, inflammatory markers that we can use in cardiovascular health and so forth. We've already created tests for oropharyngeal cancer using HPV. We've already created tests for genetic variations. So I see an entire menu of saliva that when you go to see your hygienist, that there will be a menu. And based on your, the medical history that the patient gives to you, you would check that menu of tests that you want to get from saliva that you can inform your patient with and you will be working directly either with a nurse practitioner or a primary care provider and you will all be connected with medical records and we will be working on the same patients 
at the same time trying to achieve the same results. And that is preventing heart attacks, strokes, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and cancer. Wow. I, my heart's like beating really fast right now. <laughs> I just love your vision. You know, I, I, I can see that happening and yes. I, that's what it's supposed to be. You know, there's not, yes. we're supposed to be working together as a team. Absolutely. You know? and Absolutely. I, I just love this conversation. Um, but thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know like, hopefully the people out there watching are going to get intrigued, you know, <laughs> and ask your dentist about it, you know, yeah, maybe it'll totally. inspire them to like get involved if they're not, you know? So well, really, yeah. I, I'm always very open. So if anybody wants to contact me, you know, you can give them my email address or whatever. Happy to do that because uh, I still love what I do relative to what I'm doing. And I love talking to people and helping them. Right. Thank you so much. Um, I will drop your email. Is email your best way to contact you? Yeah, yeah that's the best way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll put that in the descriptions below be. as well. And um, also one more question. Um, yeah, sure. If a dentist is listening and wants yes. to get trained, get the yes. team trained, like how yes. how do they get yes. trained? Sure. Well, I would suggest first of all you contact either directdiagnostics.com. That's the laboratory I'm associated with today. Or you can contact me directly, and then it's a very easy step. Of course, we create a, a um, protective um, internet connection so that any information that you send to us, we can send the laboratory back to you through a protected uh, internet connection. Um, and our test, you want to take a saliva sample, send it to us, you get a report back in two days, and then we can walk you through that. So anybody want to get started, either contact me or direct diagnostics. All right, perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much again. You're sure welcome. And thank this. you for the interview, Bev. You're great. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. I'm, I feel energized now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> all right. Good. So, the future's bright for all yes, of you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank <laughs> yes. you, everyone, for joining us on Dark Horse Matters, the show about passionate people just, yes. you know, making a difference and changing lives. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please share, share with your friends and uh, like and subscribe so you can be influenced and uh, inspired every single week when I post a new episode. So until next time, be passionate.